So my advice would be um, to really understand what's flowing in and out of um, your business because what you want to do is know where you've got um, direct control over those materials and where you've got some influence. Kia ora, I'm Troy, here as CEO and welcome to Stirring the Pot. Thanks for connecting. If you're new, here's what you can expect. We're going to be talking the tough stuff, the things that keep us metalheads up at night. There are many challenges facing our industry and equally many opinions on how we should tackle them. Stirring the Pot provides a facilitated forum to discuss and challenge these viewpoints. So let's get to the nuts and bolts of it. Today we're talking with Kelly McLean. Kelly is a Senior Consultant for Circular Economy at Oricon with a background in materials, design and research. She is tasked with helping clients design and implement circular economy strategies. Uh, so Kelly, can you tell us what is meant by the actual term circular economy? Yeah, definitely. So it's a fundamental shift in thinking from a linear economy, um, which really is around taking, making and disposing in a kind of straight line sort of approach. Um, the circular economy is much more complex. It takes a different approach um, and it might have lots of different solutions coming together to sort of create these different loops of um, of something going back into the system and being able to be reused or recycled. Um, so the circular economy is really a systems approach um, to remove waste um, and pollution and retain value in assets and regenerate natural systems. And to do that, we do that through design primarily. Awesome. <clears throat> it's so exciting that Oricon has got this focus. How did that come about? Um, so a couple of years ago, um, Oricon commissioned some really great research into this space and we found that there were some really key drivers and signals around the importance of providing this kind of support to clients. So one of those was around um, the need to obviously um, reduce emissions um, and ensure that we actually get to under 1.5 degrees. Um, and then actually being able to understand um, how materials are extracted, transported, used, disposed um, of because it actually accounts for 45% of carbon emissions. So it's sort of this hidden piece that's um, not going to get solved just through changing energy sources alone. Um, and yeah, so there was a lot of different pieces that came together um, that I think being able to create that link between circular economy and decarbonisation was really important for Oricon. So um, we had a real leadership um, role in the built environment and transport and resources. So we found that there was this um, amazing opportunity for us to be able to help our current and future clients navigate this space um, and really understand, but more importantly, implement circular strategies um, and in effect be able to support their carbon goals. Um, and I guess a really big part of that is being able to <clears throat> consider the supply chain and really move towards reuse and de deconstruction as well. So um, there's some really great opportunities there for Oricon, but also for um, New Zealand as well. Yep, that's great. Um, it's definitely a focus for here as well, because we've got that in big Endeavour project funding for construction 4.0, and a big part of it will be circular design. And we've had some great conversations um, within the Advanced Manufacturing Industry Transformation Plan. Um, but it does seem like construction is a bit lagging in terms of even understanding how it how it will operate within our sector. What industries do you think are more mature in thinking about circular economies? 
I guess the most obvious one would be in the packaging space. Um, mm-hmm. And that's probably because there's been so much pressure from the consumer side of things to find solutions. And so what that's meant is it's driven government and businesses that are in that space to really work together and um, recognise, first of all, that there's a pollution issue, but also that there's um, a challenge there with food waste as sort of a counterpoint to um, packaging. So um, so it's quite a difficult space to be in, but um, through collaboration over the last probably four years, um, the grocery sector in particular has sort of been able to um, share a bit of data and be able to try to get better understanding of what's going into the system so then the infrastructure that's um, developed over time can actually deal with it. Um, And another part of that was being able to move to monomaterials, so trying to retain asset value, sorry, trying to retain the value of the material um, through to recycling because that's a really big driver of market forces um, actually being able to get a commercial price that's going to be viable to pull it through the system. Mm-hmm. Um, so with the construction sector, there's quite a lot going on at the moment. I know that um, the Sustainable Business Network held um, a hui uh, a few months ago and they've got a report coming out around circular economy and construction. Um, I think with the metals space, um, it's quite interesting because Actually, you guys are pretty um, pretty mature in that space. Recycling has been embedded in the way that um, uh, metal has been produced for a long time. Um, and with aluminium, that's quite a good example. Like even with um, the packaging space, there's always been a market for it. And so that's meant that um, MRFs want to collect it. And um, there's markets overseas where it should be hopefully made in, back into, um, into cans. Um, that can be a bit of downcycling, but um, that's something that the, that sector needs to look at. I think with the infrastructure space um, and metal, um, it's quite interesting when you sort of consider that recycling is still pretty pretty high for that space. Um, but one thing I really like to sort of think of from a systems perspective, you know, what else is going into um, into the infrastructure because cement. Um, according to Callahan and Innovation, actually makes up eight percent of global carbon emissions. So, um, when we're thinking about different materials, um, it's really important to kind of think about what else, what other materials are being used in that system. And I would say that you know steel and cement is sort of like the two two parts that are used commonly together. So, um, so yeah, it's it's an interesting one. Um, and when Alan the, the Alan MacArthur Foundation um, did a report in 2019 and sort of developed that 45% um, figure around global um, greenhouse gases that that could be um, reduced through implementation of circular economy strategies. Um, there was a particular focus on five key materials. So they were um, aluminium, steel, cement, plastics and foods. So you sort of can see what I've just covered off actually um, actually covers off that rumour. It's quite interesting with, you know, plastics um, having that close connection with food waste prevention, but then with the construction centre uh, sector, aluminium, steel and cement are pretty important. So, yeah, so it'll be interesting to see how the space evolves. 
Yeah. Yeah, I think steel is actually the most recycled material on yep. Earth. Um, and we are working on um, a project, uh, which is our material passport project, to look at more reuse, which obviously is a better approach rather than yep. simply recycling. Um, who would you see as leaders in the um, circular thinking? So, oh, gosh. Well, this is probably showing my background, but I would say designers and engineers, architects, manufacturers, so people that have an absolute affinity to um, the materials that they're using and um, really at that beginning stage um, really wanting to push the envelope of design for the future. Um, so, so, yeah, so... I probably democratise that and say that um, actually we've got a lot of those leaders around us and um, we really need to um, empower them in their decision-making and make sure that the briefs that they have can help um, actually get us to where we want to get to with circular economy and low carbon. Um, <clears throat> the other spaces that would be um, important around providing that leadership opportunity um, for designers and engineers and architects and manufacturers to do really, really well, uh, pro providing that collaboration space where they can actually meet and have um, these different conversations from different parts of the sector that um, that they're working in. Um, but um, when we look uh, globally, um, there's some really amazing um, publications um, at the mouth. Oh, sorry. When we look globally, there's some really great publications from the Ellen MacArthur Foundation, super, super practical, um, really great introductions um, to these to these concepts and um, in real terms. Um, I really, really love the Rethink publication that they did, um, looking at redesign as, as a really key tool in this space. So that was sort of building and reuse and refurbishment and repair from the outset. Um, uh, there's also uh, Cradle to Cradle, which um, I don't know there's many people on the call. It was sort of my first introduction to um, circular thinking, um, which really sort of introduced this idea of um, the two different sides of the circular economy and sort of keeping those um, separated. Um, so, you know, biological products can go around in those loops and the more... Um, durable technical technical products can can be managed in a different way. Um, more locally, um, there's been some really, really great efforts and um, opportunities for businesses and different people from different backgrounds to get involved with circular economy, making it really accessible. So um, I say Sustainable Business Network and their masterclasses are awesome at um, getting people in the room and talking about this um, together. Um, as I mentioned, there's, um, I think, a paper coming out at the end of the month, um, and that's been authored by James Griffin, so he's been in this space for a long time and, um, and has brought together quite a lot of people sort of to, to look at, um, at problems that are facing their particular sector. Um, they're also linked in with Mio Mio, the research group at Waikato University um, around um, around sea in New Zealand, so sort of expect quite a lot of really great papers to come out soon, um, really focus on Aotearoa and what we're doing here. Um, there's also X Labs run by Circularity, so 
that's um, been quite a great um, platform for businesses to come together and um, and share their um, practical kind of um, solutions potentially that they have found themselves. Um, so really um, bringing those solutions um, to businesses in a real way. Um, and also the, the redesign of everything podcast is really cool. Um, and then also there's thanks to PNZ who've done some really great research work in this space, um, really quantifying those scenarios and using a life cycle approach to do that too. So yeah, so we've we've got some pretty great people in New Zealand um, doing doing great work, um, and I think uh, it's really good for us to all all talk and all work together in this space because it's a really hard nut to crack, and um, we need as many people into it as possible. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned designers, architects, um, yeah. consulting engineers as leaders because that's one of the gaps that we've identified and as we just spoke of um, what we're proposing to do is develop that brand's proposal um, to look at giving um, a design framework um, that looks at uh, actual decarbonisation at the design phases. Yeah. Lots of conversations happening about um, Module A and loads of calculators coming out, but really, you know, all of those other stages, even thinking about if you specify material um, at the outset to, like, basically double the life of the building, what does that yeah. mean? Yeah, lots of interesting conversations around... Um, yeah, at the moment, I think circular economy as a term is one that I have only really noticed starting to gain traction in terms of business as usual conversations probably in the last 12 to 24 months. So it is very new for Aotearoa, I think, at least in our sectors. Um, what are some of, uh, some of the examples of out-of-the-box thinking um, to make something circular that you have had your imagination captured by yeah so I was having a yeah I was having a think of this and I there are some really really clever ideas out there and um even the most basic ones like using reusable crates um in a global supply chain I mean that is incredible that you can um actually manage that and manage it well so that's um so an example would be Loscom and Chip um doing that work but um the two examples that I wanted to share um we're really one of they're quite different, but one's um around that biological loop. So um you don't often think of food itself being a circular solution, but um it really can be. And upcycled food um is one of those space spaces that is growing. Cool. So um so yeah, so just thinking about biological loops, um upcycled food is super, super exciting. Um and it's gained gained a huge amount of traction over the past three to five years. So um, an example is Citizen Beer, where they've taken stale supermarket fridge and made it into beer, um, but didn't stop there. Um, they then made bread out of the beer again. Um, and then since then, they've gone on to um, to be able to utilise um, vegetable seconds, I guess, so wonky and split vegetables that really can't be sold um, and use chickpea juice which is I guess a byproduct of another um, supply chain um, to create really amazing sauces so um, you kind of think like oh wow so like food can actually go in the circular 
um, loop as well and we're not having to remake something that's going into something that's got value. So, um, so yeah, so that's pretty awesome. Um, another example um, is in the reuse space, which is around um, unlocking uh, resources that are dormant. So Mutu is an app that used to be a peer-to-peer sharing platform um, or rental platform. So you used to be able to hop on there and then sort of um, go and um, rent out a, say, a surfboard if you if you wanted to go surfing but you um, didn't own one but wanted to go. Um, what they did is they built it for that and then they found that there was this amazing market for business-to-business um, sharing and resource um, procurement. So um, what they've been able to do is use some of that um, IP that they built for the P2P one and apply it apply it to B2B so um, businesses can plug in their procurement system and anything sort of excess or that they don't need, they can then um, sell that off to others um, in the network. And that's been really, really successful. So you sort of think if there's a lot of things in warehouses that's not being used, um, maybe you can displace something from needing to be manufactured because it's already there. Um, and also using up um, precious warehousing space and the carbon impacts that go along with that. Mm, I love those ideas. And I think because, just because actually, just because um, our conversations seem to be very much focused um, in terms of um, big societal discussions around carbon because there is obviously a climate change crisis. But I feel like circularity doesn't get the focus that it actually needs because it, it, it does have a connection to carbon. Can you talk about what that connection to carbon is in terms of circularity? Yeah, sure. So um, they're very interlinked and um, often we focus on materials um, being circular and that's kind of what, what the focus is. But um, actually um, renewable energy is pretty important to that as well. So... Um, there's a lot of, um, I guess, yeah, there's a lot of work going into um, how we consume as well in that space. So um, that brings in, in people into the mix. So I really like the term um, that's used um, in New Zealand a lot of the time for circular economy, which is a meow meow, which is the Māori word. Um, it's a verb um, to go round and round. And for me, that's pretty powerful because what that's saying is that there's actually an action around and an intent around things um, actually going around in those loops. Um, and it is it is powered by something. So um, I think if we don't take a circular approach to, um, to future thinking and planning and design, um, we're really going to find that we will find we'll have we'll have massive issues um, and continue to have massive issues with waste, um, which actually has an implication for carbon as well um, and pollution. So um, so it's really important to be able to to actually um, shift the way that we're we're viewing how we how we make and consume things. Um, on the flip side, around circular economy, there is a risk of making changes that seem really positive. But actually, the burdens are simply being shifted um, to somewhere else in the sh- in the system. So it could be that um, 
so you make a change with the material type but actually it has some really big impacts in the manufacturing side of things that hasn't hasn't been considered um the most obvious one though would be around being able to use recycled content in what we're what we're making and using um we often think about the the end of life um and that if something gets recycled that's the end of the story and it's great but actually what you're doing in effect is um hopefully reducing the carbon impacts of whatever is made in the future by displacing some of those virgin materials and reducing waste and so there's a really really great double um whammy there um by by going um circular and embracing those concepts and um yeah being able to hopefully as well keep things in use for longer because as you've said previously um you know what happens if the lifespan is doubled um because um hopefully that's displacing something else being made as well um so yeah it's a it's an interesting space um but they are really really interconnected carbon and and thinking um going Mm. circular I think for me, circular economy is the more important conversation, actually, because yeah. the more that we focus on module A, carbon only, yeah. the there's a higher potential for perverse outcomes, just like what you were saying. You know, we can make decisions that actually over the lifetime or hopefully multiple lives of that product actually end up um, with more carbon being emitted than if we had looked at the full circularity of that product at the upfront design phases. Um, yeah, I just feel like at the moment we our focus on module A and body carbon is not going to give us the outcomes that we actually are wanting um, and potentially we're just deferring it by 50 or 60 years, you know, to the end of the building, all of that carbon is going to be re-emitted. Um, how prepared do you think our workforce is to adopt this way of thinking and what do you think is actually required in terms of workforce development? Yeah, so I think you just nailed it just then because I, I think we we're at the start of this journey, um, circular economy and that that shift from linear to being able to, to close some of those loops um, has only really taken traction in the past probably five years um, in the sustainability space as well. So um, moving from something being um, designed and and then actually applied and um, actively um, sort of managed through its lifespan is like a different conversation. And I think that's something that um, we need to upskill our workforce around so always being able to understand that actually a lot of these decisions um around how a product and sort of navigates the system in a broad sense um are still people decisions so um you might design a product but actually it fits within a service design context um and so how are we making it as easy as possible for people to um to manage the resources and these finite resources we have um, because that's actually what ends up driving these decisions around how long um, products are, are used for and um, and and the value that, that goes along with them. Um, yeah, so, so the development that's required um, 
is really around upskilling um, at at the ground floor. So being able to um, make sure that circular thinking and um, and these kind of uh, I guess innovative ways of approaching really tough problems um, is permeating in the operations, supply chain, procurement teams. It's not just for the sustainability teams to champion. Um, and that's there's really good reason for that. Um, that's often because a lot of the great kind of solutions will actually come from those on the ground that really know their area of expertise and having them be able to um, champion those themselves and really um, you know bring up the, the ideas that are practical and can actually work can can be quite powerful um yeah so I think the other piece that's super important is um around like the brief development so you know if you have the opportunity to be a client and um, making sure that designers and engineers can actually um <laughs> They actually have the the scope to design for a circular economy, um, and those expectations are really clear, and the parameters are really clear as well because um, there's some incredibly clever people um, here and overseas that uh, you know would love the opportunity to design in a different way, um, but maybe haven't had had that um, opportunity yet, um, and it really um, it's really important that that there's support from the governance and the C-suite as well. Yeah, so speaking of the C-suite, what, what practical ways, if we've got, you know, a chief executive out there um, who's thinking, okay, you know, our business is very linear, how can we make it circular? What are your tips on what support is there out there? How would they go about that process? Yeah, so my advice would be... Um, to really understand what's flowing in and out of um, your business because what you want to do is know where you've got um, direct control over those materials and where you've got some influence. So um, the first exercise I'd sort of recommend would be um, to map out your material flows and it doesn't have to be anything complicated. It can just be something on a whiteboard um, with your colleagues and really at a basic level knowing what kinds of materials um, you're kind of working with um, and at a more granular level, you can move into that LCA um, and EPD space, especially if you've already got, got work um, in those areas, because um, that already captures a lot of um, a lot of the different stages of your supply chain. And finally, um, really understanding your carbon footprint um, and the scopes that go along with that, because I think scope three is where a lot of hidden um, carbon is but there's a lot of influence that companies can have around um suppliers and what you know is going again through your system so i guess the main message in there is to know the status quo so like where are you at now because if you don't really understand what you have um to control and what you have um influence around then it's really difficult to make changes and to be able to um make plans and strategies around what you might do in the future um, it's really important to understand hotspots. Um, and I think a really good exercise as well is to you know, have a hui and be able to get some of um, those people that I was talking about earlier, like your procurement team, your operations, um, 
supply chain all together in a room and actually um, go through this space and unpack the status quo and gain some of those understandings around circular opportunities because um, there's going to be things that maybe you hadn't thought of that your team sort of see every day and they can actually have that safe space to share it with you. Um, so, yeah, so empowering internal circular champions is a really good idea as well. Um, what that means is that they then can kind of look a bit more wider beyond your organisation and sort of understand the context in which it sits um, and then be able to bring that knowledge back into the organisation as well. Um, and at, at a basic level, there are some resources. So um, Ellen MacArthur Foundation, as I've mentioned, is amazing, um, very, very um, accessible and um, it's really good that you don't have to be, I guess, an expert in this space to sort of get it. I guess when you go on their site, it's just really like beautifully designed and um, and really like, yeah, it's well presented and it's um, really useful. So um, can you just tell us uh, what your personal journey was to become a circular economy expert? Oh, it's a long story. So I, I actually studied design and um, there wasn't at the time, there wasn't a sustainability or circular course that I could have even taken if I wanted to. So um, I've basically um, seen this this area evolve over the last eight years and um, about three years into a research and development career, I realised that this is where I intuitively knew that I wanted to know everything about um i started off in the biological side um so that was um really understanding natural materials and um how things grow in relation to the land and um agricultural models um and how complex they can be um and then through my journey um i had the opportunity to um i guess move into the packaging space which was at the time having really really hard targets um, around how they get to um, I guess a circular outcome so reusable recyclable and compostable packaging um, so I stepped into that space and um, learned about all sorts of other materials and some of them were not natural and yet um, they're incredibly important for our food system so um so yeah, so my my journey has been one of um, constant learning. Um, I think positioning circular economy here in Aotearoa has been um, very very important for me um, because often there's a lot of ideas from overseas that um, that are awesome, but we've got a very different set of um, considerations in New Zealand so for me I'm um, like as an island nation and um, limitations around our infrastructure here like currently around recycling um, and so yeah so my journey has been one of um, kind of rising to some of the challenges the big challenges and <laughs> not being too scared to to um, sort of explore those spaces and um, one thing that was really amazing from my time in packaging was recognizing that reuse um, was being talked about a lot, but not actually being um, provided the support and 
confidence for many different sectors to actually um, entertain scaling that space. Um, and so um, something that's been really, really uh, rewarding has been um, helping set up reuse Aotearoa, oh, sorry, helping set up reuse Aotearoa, which um, aims to provide some of that research and evidence that we, that's been missing for the past four years to help, um, I guess, develop that area. And that's really driven by people um, because it requires a lot of behaviour change. And I think that space is really, really interesting. Um, yeah, like durability. Um, so, yeah, so my journey has been uh been quite an interesting one um not not expected at all and and I just um yeah feel very um very blessed to have been to have landed um with Boracon and got such a diverse um range of of people on the on the sector economy team and um yeah we're really quite excited to be working together and working with um working with really great organizations trying to solve solve tricky problems so there you go. Thanks for joining our conversation with Kelly today. If you'd like to connect more with her, you'll find her details in the show notes. This was a great conversation to help shine the light on the circular economy and its importance as a concept to address and eliminate waste as a concept by design. Food for thought till we see you next time. So hit subscribe. And if you like what you heard today, please like, review or share with any metalheads you know. Let's spread the word. So if you like what you heard today, you may be interested to know more about the sustainability focuses that HERA has and our hopes to foster a circular economy within our heavy engineering and steel industry in Aotearoa. You'll find details in the show notes.